How can we express our love? I'll ask you that today. How can we express our love to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's not here with us bodily, is He? So how can we as His children, how can we express His love? By loving His children. By loving His children. Amen. Amen. By loving others. By doing unto others. He says, as you do unto the least of these, you do unto me, right? Amen. So as we do unto the least of these, we can express our love to loving others, loving His children. I greet you this morning in the name of the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you into His house. Those who are watching, I greet you also in the name of the Lord. And uh, just thank you for joining us this morning. My message this morning, I titled, Love Them Less Than Jesus. Love them less, meaning, this is going to be a tough one, your family, even your family. Love them less than you love Jesus Christ. Love Him more than anybody or anything. Because when you love Him more, then you're going to love everybody else the way we should be loving, Amen. right? Amen. Um, going to Luke chapter 14 as I'm making my way through Luke. Um, Gonna, I broke this up into two different readings, verses 1 through 6, and then a later reading. I forget how many verses that is, but, uh, so we'll break that up. But, so let's go ahead and just begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your amazing love, your love that was so great that you allowed your Son to come and die upon a cruel cross that we might be redeemed, that we might have the kind of relationship that you intended to have with mankind. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that... As you see us when we believe on Jesus, that you see us through the blood of Christ. We thank you that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed. We thank you that we have eternal life, that we have that promise. Lord, your word declares, whoever believeth on Jesus Christ shall be saved and shall enjoy eternal life. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and just pray your spirit would be in complete control today that you would guide and direct every word that is spoken. But, Father, help our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Father, that we would be encouraged, that we would be renewed, Father. I just thank you, Father, for your spirit that strengthens us and just helps us each and every day. Lord, as your word says, you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that you are always there for us. Father, in these times of uncertainty, I thank you that we can look to you with certainty, to know that you are still God, that you are still on your throne, that you are still in control. Father, we thank you for that. Father, whenever we don't know what to do, we know that we can trust and rely on you. Father, that we can go to your word and find truth if we want to find absolute truth. And we thank you for your word and just pray that you would just let us receive what you have for us today and let us use it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 14. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the, rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they, meaning the Pharisees, they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And again, 
I added the again, they could not answer. He re- answer him regarding these things. Now, I already established in one of the earlier chapters in Luke that it was customary on the Sabbath after the service that they would invite people into their homes and it was kind of an open setting. The, the windows or doors would be open and there would be other people that could be watching and listening their conversation because they'd be talking about the Scriptures and talking about maybe the message that was brought forth that day. They would often invite the guests to come and so it was not an unusual thing for them to have a meal or a uh, meeting after the, the meeting in a synagogue. And on the Sabbath, the Jews would normally, not on the Sabbath, but for the Sabbath, they would purchase the best food they could buy for the Sabbath, the most nutritious food that they could buy for the Sabbath day, to do it honor. They honored the Sabbath, they, they truly did, And the Sabbath, my friends, is intended and was intended to benefit both the soul and the body. So they would have the best food, plus they would have the Word. And it was to be a day of gladness of heart. A gladness of heart. It's not a day of gloom and sadness. not a day to, to fast, but it is a day to feast and a day to have joy and gladness in our hearts. So I'll ask you this. If you had a neighbor, let's not say friend, if you had a neighbor or a co-worker that most often was just downright rude to you, that they condemned you, that they criticized you, were critical about everything, and all of a sudden they say, would you like to come over for lunch today? <laughs> are you going to say, sure, I'll be right over? Chances are you're going to say, thanks, but no thanks, right? I mean, <laughs> I have a previous engagement, Yes. So it might seem kind of strange that Jesus would accept this invitation to go and dine with the, the Pharisees because we know that they've been critical of Him so many times, accusing Him of being Satan, accusing Him of lying, accusing Him of being a blasphemer. You know, there might have been a few occasions where He was invited to a Pharisee's house that they had pure motives, that they truly wanted to hear what he had to say, and maybe just have good, honest conversation with him. But in Luke 14, it's one of those occasions where they are absolutely wanting to trap him. Can you imagine trying to trap God? Trying to trap God with some scheme you've come up with, trap him in his words or trap him in something he's going to do? Come on. Matthew 9, chapter 9, verse 4 tells us, but Jesus knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Knowing their thoughts. In our passage in Luke, we know that Jesus knew their thoughts. Because how did that read? It said, and Jesus answering them spoke. He did, they didn't ask a question. They didn't ask a thing. It said, behold, there was a certain man before them that had dropsy, And Jesus answering them, answering the lawyers and the Pharisees. And in verse 5, and answering them, which of you having a donkey or an ox? They didn't even ask a question, but they were thinking it, weren't they? They were thinking it. He knew their thoughts. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. He knows what you are thinking all the time. That might scare some people. 
Sometimes that scares me. Right? He knows our thoughts. Jesus was fully aware of what was going on. As a matter of fact, Jesus was never caught off guard, was He? In all their scheming, all their plotting, not one time was He caught off guard because He knows what's going to happen before it happens. Evidence that this was a trap in chapter 14 is the fact that they invited this man with dropsy. Dropsy is a condition characterized by excessive fluid in the body. Today, probably the most common uh, thing would be congestive heart failure. That they will fill up with fluid, their, arm, their legs will swell up, and they'll just be downright miserable. Today, we know that they have medication like Lasix, and I'm sure many others, that help get that fluid out of your body so you don't retain it. There's other things, kidney disease, cirrhosis of the liver, all these would help retain fluid in your body and kind of make you kind of miserable. But the chances of this religious group, this elite religious group, inviting this man under normal circumstances, slim to none. They're not going to invite this guy there. They were simply using this man as a pawn in their scheme. That reveals to me their, their true heart. How truly evil and wicked they were. To use, take advantage of an innocent man. They weren't concerned with his healing. But I will say this about those religious leaders, the Pharisees and the lawyers. They had witnessed enough of Jesus' ministry to know that if they invited this man, that Jesus could not just do nothing. They knew it. They knew him that well. They knew that if they invited this man there, that Jesus was going to heal him. They knew that he couldn't be in the presence of that man and not, not do something. Because they knew that if he didn't do anything, the people watching, this, remember there's people outside the doors, outside the windows, they're watching. They knew that he would seem uncompassionate if he didn't. But yet, if he did, there's our chance. We can condemn him for healing on the Sabbath, right? Well, he broke their Sabbath. Rather, I should say, he broke their Sabbath tradition. That's right. Jesus never once violated the Sabbath as God established the Sabbath. Now, I will say this, he already had violated their Sabbath tradition at least seven other times. In Luke chapter 4, he cast out a demon out of a man. He healed a person of a fever all on the Sabbath. He allowed his disciples to pluck grain as they walked through the field in Luke chapter 6. He healed a lame man in John chapter 5. He healed a man that had a paralyzed hand in Luke chapter 6. He delivered a crippled woman in Luke chapter 13. He healed a man that was born completely blind. All these on the Sabbath. Kind of makes me wonder, why did they need another example? Why did they, wasn't that enough? Didn't they have enough evidence against him? Kind of glad they did try this though, because their scheme backfired on them, didn't they? While they were watching Jesus very, very closely, just waiting for that opportune time to trap him, he turned the table on them. Before they had an opportunity to ask him anything, he asked them the question. Because he knew they were trying to accuse him. 
He asked them the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? We know that's the same thing that they had asked Him previously. He used their own words against them, rendering them completely silent. They couldn't respond to that. Amazingly, because remember, all these people were watching. If they would have said, it's not lawful, then the people watching would have seen the condition of their hearts, that they didn't have compassion. And if they said, yes it is, then their associates would say, well you are Sabbath breakers, lawbreakers, right? Jesus had them, I'm sure you've heard this in your life, between a rock and a hard place. You ever been there? No matter what you do, it ain't going to be right. Between a rock and a hard place. That's where He had them. So as they knew He would do, Jesus had compassion on the man. Had compassion on him. Touched him, healed him. He didn't just make the fluid go out of his body. He healed the condition. Whether it was congestive heart failure or kidney disease, whatever it was, he healed him. He walked away. He was completely healed. He didn't have to worry about the fluid building up in his body tomorrow morning because Jesus touched him. He was healed. And Jesus can touch you today. Jesus is still in the miracle working business. He can heal today. He asked them that second question. Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately go out and pull him out on the Sabbath day? Again, he couldn't answer them. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when I read that, and the way I think, the way he asked that question, I think he knew that they had done that very thing. Maybe not all of them, but I believe that there were some in his hearing that day that had actually done what Jesus just said here. That they had rescued their donkey or their ox or their animal that had been trapped. So he had them trapped. In, you know, I know that... We love our pets. We love animals, right? We love them. We hug on them. And if they're, if they're ill, if they're not doing well, we're going to take care of them, no matter what day of the week it is. We're going to take care of our pets, aren't we? That's just our nature, because we love them. I mean, I think my little pup, our little dog, gets more hugs and kisses than I do. I'm just kidding. I'm joking with my wife here. <laughs> but we love our pets. We love our animals. We take care of them. But either way, they could not answer. Because again, if they would have said, it's okay to rescue your animal on the Sabbath, then they would be accused of breaking the Sabbath. But also, as we already know their hearts, they would say it's okay to rescue an animal, but not heal a man. What could they say, right? In the previous chapter, which I didn't cover this last week, so I'm going to share some of this today. Luke 13, 10 through 14. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no wise raise herself up. You know, I seen a lady one day at the store and her back was so bad. She had, What is that called when you... 
osteoporosis. Bent over, and this woman was bent completely over like this, and that's how she walked throughout the entire store. And I, I watched her. She went out and got in the car, and she was able to drive. So that's how I, I always, my mind, I had to envision things. That's how I envisioned this woman. Completely bent over, could not straighten herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them. Come and be healed on them six, those six days, and not on the Sabbath day. Let that sink in for a moment. There's a woman bent over. She's been bent over for 18 years. And they condemn him. They're even condemning her. Come and be healed on any other day but the Sabbath day. Sorry about your luck, but you can't be healed today because it's the Sabbath. How cruel. How compassionless. But yet they would pull their donkey out of the pit and save them. My friends, the Sabbath is meant to do good. You see someone in need, don't say, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you today because it's my Sabbath. No. You help them. You help them. When it does come to our pets and our animals, we, are not, we love them, but we're not to love them more than we love man. We are to love our brothers and our sisters. The Ten Commandments states that the Sabbath day is to be kept holy and that no work is to be done on it, our usual work. But here's the problem. These Jewish legalists, lawyers, Pharisees, whatever you want to call them, they had a passion for definition. So they would ask, what is work? What is work? All kinds of things were classified as work. And here's some examples. To carry a burden on the Sabbath day is to work. I'm talking that this is their definition. To carry a burden on a Sabbath day is thought of as work. So next then, they have to find out what is the definition of a burden. So the scribal law lays down these examples. These are considered a burden. Food equal in weight to a dried fig. So don't let me catch you carrying that fig on the Sabbath, right? I mean, that's what they, that, that was their tradition. Enough wine for mixing in a goblet is considered a burden. Milk enough for one to swallow. Well, what good would it be to have milk if you couldn't swallow it, right? Honey enough to put on a wound. That would be you know, enough for, call it, carrying a burden. Oil enough to anoint a small member. Water enough to moisten an eye salve. Paper enough to write a custom house notice upon. Ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet. So you could write one, but don't dare write two, right? Read enough to make a pen, and so on. They spent endless hours arguing, arguing whether a man could or could not lift a lamp from one table to another. Is that a sin to do that on the Sabbath? They would argue whether a woman 
might wear a brooch or a false hair. Or if a man could wear artificial teeth or an artificial limb on the Sabbath. Because that might be carrying a burden. I'm serious, friends. These are, good, these are examples. They would argue whether or not a father could lift his child on the Sabbath day. That's how legalistic they were. They were just overwhelmed or overcome by their rules and their regulations. You can't heal on the Sabbath day. Six days you can do that, right? By Jesus asking the Pharisees the question. You know, He was giving them the opportunity by saying, can you heal on the Sabbath? Sabbath. He's giving them the opportunity to say the right thing to do the right thing, to realize their sin, to realize their heartlessness, giving them an opportunity to repent, to give them the opportunity to say, I care about others. But in their stone-cold hearts, they did not, did they? They would rather rescue their ox than rescue a woman from her infirmities or a person with dropsy. In Galatians 6, chapter 7, chapter 6, verse 7 through 10, says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Think about what they're going to reap because of their heartlessness. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Even on the Sabbath day, friends, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Especially those who are of the household of faith. Friends, let us do good to all. Every day. Every single day. Now the last part of our reading in Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, and all who see will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other was still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the, hand, the land nor the dunghill. But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the last part of this chapter, it said there's a very large crowd following him. A great multitude went with him. He knew 
that not all who were following him that day were true disciples. Not all were following him with right intentions. He knew that there were those, probably many, that were following him wanting to see a miracle, just wanting to see what he was going to do. Many were following him maybe because they were hungry. He, they heard about him feeding the thousands. Maybe they were just following him to see that miracle, that maybe that he would feed the multitude that day. But many had wrong expectations. They weren't hungry for spiritual things, but they were hungry for the natural things, what they could see with their eyes or what they could put into their bellies. So in the first part of this, reading today in the chapters 14, 1 through 6, we see that Jesus has great compassion for a man. Great compassion. Shows His love, heals the man. But here He says, If anyone who comes to Me does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he can't be My disciple? Do these contradict one another? Not really. Jesus is just thinning out the crowd here, in a sense. He has often spoke of the difficulty that's going to come with following Him. Making sure we count the cost. Make sure we know what we're going to have to give up to follow Him. Make sure we know the value of it. But He's not... When it says hate, the Greek meaning of hate as it's used in this passage in 14 means to love less. That's where my title came from. To love less. We're not to hate. He says if you hate your brother, that's the same as murdering him. We're not to hate them with an evil heart and and intend harm or wickedness towards them. But we're to love our families less than we love Jesus. You know, I think a very good example with this would be to use Jesus Himself as an example. When Jesus was about 12 years old, His family went with a large caravan, went to Jerusalem. I don't know if it was Passover or festival, one of them, but they went to Jerusalem. And when it came time to go home, traveling in this large caravan, he's a teenager, back in those days, you know, we let the kids run around. Today you don't leave them out of your sight. So the caravan leaves, Jesus is not with them. He stays behind in Jerusalem. They think that Jesus is with the, you know, the crowd, the family. They're a day's journey from Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph realize Jesus is not with us. Where is He? What are you going to do if your child's missing? Panic. Now come on, panic. You're going to panic. Where are they at? I'm going to go off course here a little bit. I remember a time when our girls were very young and they were playing hide and seek. And one of them would be the oldest one. She was, you know, she hid in the coffee table. Opened the door. The coffee table had doors in a little compartment there. She hit, she curled herself up and got in that coffee table. And normally when you're playing hide and seek with a kid, they're going to go, hee, they're going to, you know, giggle, whisper. It's not going to be hard to find them. She was quiet as a mouse. Yeah, usually they're like, here I am. She was quiet as a mouse. And we looked and we looked and of course, someone began to panic. Someone and it wasn't me. So you can figure out who it was. She's panicking. Like she, she's got to be in here somewhere. So finally she came out. We found her, or she came out one or the other. 
Made her say something. Yeah, she was getting mad. You better, you better say something. You're going to get a whipping when we get you up, find you. No, I just made that up. It's been too long ago, right? So they're panicked. Let's get back to Mary and Joseph. They're panicked. They rush back to Jerusalem on the third day. So they're a day's journey away. So it took them a couple days to find him. They find him in the temple, sitting down, talking with the religious leaders. They are, not they as in Mary and Joseph, the religious leaders are amazed at his understanding. At Jesus' understanding. Well, they should be amazed because he's the one that gave them that word, right? So he's having conversation with them. Of course, Mary and Joseph, they go in there and like, Son, I'm, this is my amplified version, what are you doing here? Don't you know we have been stressed and panicked and so worried about you? Why, why have you done this to us? What does he say? Don't you know that I would have been about my father's business? He loved the father more than them. He loved his mother and father Joseph and Mary, but he loved his fathers more than them. What an example. I couldn't find a better example, right? So if you are late getting home from work because you're ministering to somebody and sharing Christ with them and you're three hours late getting home and your wife's all mad, where have you been? I've been about my father's business. Right? Right? Saying that, seriously, for those that are in the ministry, for the spouses, it can be hard. Because for everybody it should be. Put Him first. Jesus is number one. Love the most, then we love the rest. How about that? I didn't have that in here. It just came to me. Love Him the most, then love the rest. Right? Because if we love Him the most, we're going to have the love that we should have for the rest. Amen? Amen? Jesus gave three parables in our Scripture today to, re to reveal the cost and the demands of following Him. The first, the builder of the tower. One must know the cost of a building. You must set down and estimate the cost before you begin to build so you know that you'll be able to finish it. Not only the cost financially, but the cost physically that it's going to take to complete this task. You don't want to run out of money before you finish or they will mock you or make fun of you like, oh, look at that fool. Thought he was going to build that house for... $10,000 and it's going to cost him sixty. dollars and there it sets unfinished for 50 years, right? Exaggerating a little bit. Or what about the energy to do it, right? Don't forget to figure that in there. The energy that it's going to take to build that building. The weather, the energy. that You know, you don't want to run out of ambition or energy halfway through the project. The same way spiritually. Think about Sit down and estimate the, the cost that it's going to take upon your body, your, your, your mind, to follow Christ. Know that it's going to take all that you have. The king going to war must first know his enemy. If he can defeat them, if not, he better send an advocate to see if they can have peace. Right? Believers, we must know that we'll have to fight. There is an enemy that we'll have to fight with, right? That's right? We must know the cost. Jesus does not want us to say, yes, I'll follow you without knowing the truth, what it's going to cost us. 
You know, last week I, I spoke about the struggles and how hard it could be. And I said that the easiest thing is whenever you say, Lord, forgive me my sins and commend them hard. And then it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle. Now I have to make a correction from last week. <laughs> For those that was here. Last week, and I said, you know, some things begin easy. So I was speaking of becoming a Christian, and I said some things begin easy, like bringing children into the world. Well, my wife let me know. She says, now, I want you to know that having children, bearing children, giving birth is not easy. What's it, what do you think is easy about that? Well, I was trying to not come across as ornery. Because what I meant was easy, what happens nine months before the child actually is born. Okay? So... I wanted to clear that up. <laughs> I cleared it up at home, but you know everyone else didn't hear that. <laughs> that was that's the only easy part about children, or the easier fun part, right? Okay. So then there's the salt, at the end of our passage. Jesus also told the disciples that they were the salt of the earth. In Matthew five thirteen, he also says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned?" It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know, in Jesus' day, they, there was more value on salt than what we realize today. Sometimes salt would be given to a soldier as part of his wage, part of his earnings. They would give him salt. That's how important salt was. You know, the word salt and salary are kind of related. That's where the saying comes, he's not worth his salt. Not worthy salt. I've heard that. Didn't know what it meant, but now I'll do. It's not worthy salt because it was held of high value. Salt, of course, we know is a preservative, right? It is good to preserve life, to keep things from decaying. My friends, if we are the salt of the earth, let that sink in spiritually. That we can keep others from decaying because we can lead them to Jesus Christ that they can have eternal life. Amen? Amen? Salt is also a purifying agent, like an antiseptic. It makes things cleaner. It can bring healing to a wound. Have you ever been to the ocean and have a cut or a wound and you go into the water? What's it do? Not only that, but what's it do at first when you first walk out into that water? It stings, doesn't it? It burns. Well, let that sink in spiritually also. Sometimes Jesus' words were offensive, right? Hate your mother and father and brother and sister. At first, that sounds a little offensive, doesn't it? It stings a little bit. Well, spiritually, it can sting. But we have to be willing to speak the truth. Just as that salt will heal that wound, when we speak truth, God's truth, it can heal the broken heart. It can set the captive free. It may sting at first. It may step on a couple toes. But what happens in the end, in the long run, is well worth it, is it not? Because at the end is eternal life. Salt adds flavor, doesn't it? We like salt on our food. It tastes good. It can make some not-so-good food taste better, right? Makes it taste better. Gives it flavor. My friends, we are to have flavor in our lives. And the flavor is the flavor of Christ's presence his word in our lives. Does our lives, does our character, does our conduct make people thirsty for the Lord? Good question. I can't answer for you. 
But you can ask yourself that question. Does my life, does my conduct, does my character make people thirsty for the Lord, for Jesus Christ? Pray that it does. I pray that it does. You know, salt is a combination of two elements. Sodium and chlorine. So if you had chlorine by itself, it could be deadly, right? A poisonous gas. But you put them together, they preserve meat, they purify, they do all kinds of things. Love and truth are two things, right? Love without truth can be bad, right? Love without truth. Because it might just say, well, everything's good, everything's okay. It might turn some people away from the gospel. But truth without love can also be bad, right? Good examples of Pharisees. We've already talked about it. They thought they had truth, but they did not have love. Friends, we need both. We need truth and we need love combined so that we can be the salt of the earth. So that we can love others. We are to love others. We're to love Jesus the most, then we love the rest. Because when we have the love of Christ in our hearts, we will love and we will have compassion. We will do the right thing. We will do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We will help them. We'll be kind to them. We will rescue them. Even, friends, if it is a Sabbath day. Amen? Amen. Amen. May God's peace and His love be with you.